This episode of Good Sheilas is proudly brought to you by a brilliant lady startup, Radiant Soul Yoga. Founded and run by our wonderful Sheila, Danny, Radiant Soul has a dedicated online platform for yoga practice that is authentic, warm, and balanced. There's room to laugh, release our ISO range, and show up in being totally safe and ragged trackies rather than Lululemon. Mm-hmm. Online yoga means your body can make all the noises it's capable of. Good. So if ISOs left you with a limp personality like Claire's and a weathered <laughs> body like Bronze, get stuck into their online courses. If you're a beginner, expecting a baby, an experienced yogi, or want to introduce yoga to the kids, Radial Soul has a course for you. Yes, someone can teach our kids. Finally. <laughs> Good Sheila's listeners get a massive 20% off by entering Good Sheila's at checkout for all of September. Ooh. Check out our Instagram for all the details. Fun fact about Claire. The morning after a girls' beach getaway, Claire drove our hungover selves through a coastal McDonald's drive-thru where the lady informed her that her usual order of fillet of fishes was not available. Oh, it was horrible. Claire was devastated and took ages to order a new burger and then she... <laughs> And then when the lady gave us her order, Claire accused the lady of not putting her burger in her bag, even though Claire hadn't even looked in the bag yet. And then the lady looked at Claire like, I don't know what your burger was. And then there was this like stare off between the McDonald's lady and Claire because neither of them understood each other. So And then finally, finally Claire just burst out laughing. <laughs> And without looking at the road ahead of her, still deadlocked staring into the lady's eyes, drove full speed ahead away from the drive-thru and narrowly missed another car and then just parked the car as if nothing had happened and looked at me, like, took her burger out and she was like, what? I was like, what the hell? How do you not know how McDonald's works? You come here every week. I just remember my mouth just opening and just this uncontrollable laughter just pouring out and the lady's face just dropped. It was like a horror movie. She's going to kill us all. <laughs> Got to get more filling of fish. Welcome to Good Sheilas, the podcast that will turn your stomach and warm your heart as we reflect on what makes all of us tick. I'm Bron, a Melbourne comedian. And I'm Claire, a human rights lawyer. And we're long-time friends, short-time mums and lifetime dickheads. Each episode we tackle something in the media as well as something in life that's kicked us in the gut. <sighs> so strap yourselves in mongrels and get ready for Good Sheilas. G'day man, how are you? I am very good. It's been a really sunny day in Melbourne and a big day. School is back goes back for summer and forever yep. no more lockdown or else it's cancelled <laughs> it's just so much lockdown but the kids are back and... and they're yelling in the background as normal which is gorgeous and relaxing but god it was so nice not to have children around today yeah i well, cannot yeah. tell you how much i do when... not like them <laughs> actually i quite missed i know that it's very it's wildly unpopular but i really missed them, but I got so much done. So much done. It's like, oh my god, like I could vacuum the house yeah. 
without the game of Edie the, who likes to turn the vacuum off. <laughs> like it's it's already really disheartening yeah. vacuuming. You already every push you're like, I hate this bit of my life. I hate this bit <laughs> of my life. And then so like this like five year old will just press it and like just look at me in the eyes like, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, die. <laughs> gonna die really unhappily <laughs> and i could cry in the bath at 2 p.m without a child saying mommy why are you crying again we haven't had breakfast <laughs> 2 p.m where's my fillet of fish that was great yeah it is really nice so congratulations all the parents and guardians and carers who got through lockdown with kids at home 24 7 i really hope that you enjoyed your day um, doing whatever you had to do or wanted to do. Yeah, whatever you wanted. Talking about being a bad person, which <laughs> I do often, that was a segue. They're magnificent. They're so good. They I'm do get so better. so good at them. We're asking, can a shitty thought make you a bad person? What about a mean-spirited tweet or an unsavoury comment between mates? We've all done it, and if you think you haven't, you probably heard at least one person celebrate or a smirk at Trump's recent diagnosis of coronavirus. Yes, I did. I definitely did. I do not care for that man, Not Claire. much. Not at all. But are these thoughts and remarks unethical? Mm. Cressida, and I'm going to butcher her last name, Cressida Gokroga? I think it's pronounced... Um, <laughs> Don't. Uh, You're sauerkraut. Gokroga. <laughs> anyway, she's a very important doctor of philosophy. I'm very sorry, Cressida, for getting it wrong. So her recent opinion piece, Is It Wrong to Hope That Donald Trump Doesn't Recover From COVID-19? It was published in the ABC News. It asks these very questions about ethics. So she explains that people who think mere thoughts are amoral are called consequent consequentialists. Mm, good one. Yeah, it's a very it just rolls off the tongue. Just like a beautiful sandwich. Just like her last name. <laughs> they believe that people aren't good or bad, only their actions are. So like you. You're yeah. a bad person because you're almost certainly a witch. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and you're a good person because when your neighbour asks you nicely to stop sideswiping her car, you uh, with your erratic driving, you only think about burning her house down. <laughs> I only think. Um, precisely. <laughs> so explanation is 10 out of 10 so far. Let's continue. So consequentialists believe that only acts that incur a consequence can be immoral. So you have to do the doing. Thinking mm. the thinking isn't enough. God, okay. So, but because thoughts just float around your head, don't really have any negative consequence apart from turning you jaded and bitter, you are fine. We're fine. We're fine. I'm fine. <laughs> You're fine. But we're not just talking about thoughts anymore. People are coming out of all corners of the earth and professing their hatred for Trump and gleefully wishing him dead. Oh, gosh. But Trump supporters have been doing this forever. Yeah. He, uh, Trump loves hate speech and divisiveness more than hair that looks like yellow smoke. <laughs> Think about his um, weird and not that cryptic message he sent to the Proud Boys Ugh. during the debate. It was broken and gross. The white supremacist group for, or his vilification of any minority group in America. Exactly. So this is why we don't really feel bad about laughing about Trump has COVID memes or sh sharing them with our friends or even creating ones of our own. But there are consequences, right? Or aren't there? The answer is murky. Gore Kroger says, this might lead to bad consequences or good ones. 
It might contribute to greater political division, but it could also allow people to let off steam and bond during these extremely difficult times. Bonding, it's beautiful. Bonding. Bond. Bonded. So, oh Christ. <laughs> so, we justify our mean comments by saying, well, he says mean stuff too. <laughs> and Grokoka compares this to the death penalty. An eye for an eye. So, are we just as bad as Trump supporters if we make fun of them? And do we actually want him to suffer, right? I reckon if we were faced with an image of him struggling to breathe with his horrible kids boiling next to him, <laughs> these jokes would probably be less funny. Mm. So we think we want him to have a bad time, but deep down we don't, right? And most of us, not even Brom. <laughs> and I'm heartless. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also not a bad person, turns out. So Gorgoga says that if what motivates you is the good, not the bad, and if the good outweighs the bad, then you're more likely to be on the morally right side. I cannot wait to tell my mum I'm a good person. <laughs> She's always doubted it. <laughs> So we've learned that thinking something, even if it's mean and rotten, in a consequentialist view, we're in the clear. But expressing that shitty thought can have consequences, and so it's not harmless. So, yeah, so thinking your mate is a bad driver and constantly <laughs> yelling at your mate that she's a bad driver is very different. So the former may be harmless, but the latter is cruel. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. The latter is a public service, and you should give me your gratitude and your car keys. Well, I'm actually carless now, so thank you so much for finally putting the nail in the coffin. Oh, we are, it's a better place. Melbourne, we can come out of lockdown. I'll just kill you with my bike. <laughs> but for the record, I have lots of conflicting feelings about Trump, particularly when he's directly responsible for the deaths of so many American people and also plows ahead with gutting the health system and also the fact that he's recovered because of medical care that almost nobody could afford. Yeah. But considering all of this, how does all this relate to things that aren't Trump, mate? Have you ever wished ill on anybody? Oh my God, so much so ill. So many people. So oh, much ill on so many people. And it does, and I feel, that when it, like when we talked about how the thoughts in your head make you bitter and jaded, I also think that when you start to say them out loud, yeah. if you start whinging about someone, if someone has annoyed you in a way, it could be in the workplace, it could be your friend Claire, but it could... For example. For example. No, like, that's not a good example. A very random example. <laughs> but if you say these, these frustrations out loud, it does... It you think it makes you feel better, but it actually it doesn't, doesn't. It doesn't. And I mean, using using this ethos, like it's it's kind of like that poison chalice thing, right? When you start to develop an idea and then you share it with someone, and that person develops the idea themselves, and that kind of will, will shape or form your interactions with that person in the future. It's just that that negativity has an impact. Yeah, and mostly on you. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, imagine hearing a negative thing about you. Someone's, oh, someone said, oh, this person really hates working with you because they think um, you're a bad driver, for example. <laughs> <laughs> and they're sick of you driving through the office. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> you're supposed to be working from home. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, if you, but that just makes you feel horrible. And if that person found out that you found out that negative thing, Aww. they would feel bad. It's just like a world of bad things it's in a, one place. So just stop saying mean things about my driving to my <laughs> colleagues, bro. It's actually, it's actually a warning. I say it out loud so in the hope that everyone hears and runs for their life when you have car keys. But it is, I do remember working with people that I have not necessarily got along with that well and starting to vent about it and at the time feeling really excited that I was like getting these feelings, articulating them, yeah. letting them, like watching, like just in, with satisfaction with people nodding at me, like saying, yes, that person is a bit of a shit bag. Me being like, yeah, they are. And this is what I hate them. They add to it. This is what I hate. And then it becomes this pile on. Yeah. And in the end, 
you kind of feel a little bit like you feel annoyed, more annoyed at them. And you feel that emptiness that comes in that kind of, I don't know, dullness that comes from being cruel mm. right but it's it's so interesting that it's such an ordinary human reaction to conflict which is just normal you and i talked about conflict before it's normal that that we we run into people and we have differences of opinion and differences of approach but the response to it is the traveling thing that we've learned to just rather than reflect on our own behavior or just say hey sometimes we don't agree sometimes people are different to us we're like they're a piece of shit yeah. i'm gonna tell everybody yeah totally and also when like when we're talking about how trump supporters they're mean and so we can be yeah. mean too yeah. it's that thing of if you know that person it says mean things about other people um you feel less bad when you say nasty yeah, things about them. Yeah. And it's like, well, if that person hears that someone's saying nasty things about them, they're like, well, I can say nasty things. It becomes this really dumb kind of cycle. And so someone's got to take the high road. And Christ almighty, I can't wait to take it. I'm not going to take it. I'm very busy driving. <laughs> <laughs> no roads for you. No, I, I, I work really hard. I, I, I was quite bitchy when I was in my 20s. Like, and, and it was always a defense mechanism. Yeah. Like being, you know, you, you have, again, conflict. Nobody knows how to have conflict. And it's much, much easier to kind of go for someone's throat behind their back and yeah. it's such a it's, it's an awful way to live and I just have it if I felt in my body right and I've made a really really conscious effort particularly since having kids to try not to say shit things about people and because and, and it's hard sometimes sometimes it's all you want to do just have a little vent and a little whinge but it's really transformed my I don't know the way I approach people just mm. to not always look for the bad bits yeah exactly and also no do you know what's getting older and I say this almost every episode getting older is just such a bloody fun thing to do because mm. you realize like you know you might have met a broken person who in your 20s um would have hurt, like you know got in your way and you would have seen like you would have been like, oh my God, that person only talks about themselves or that person is always staring in the mirror when they walk past one or that person is like, you know, like if I don't reply to their text instantly, they get really frustrated. But now, obviously, it just means that this person's deeply insecure yeah. and they're searching for validation, whether yeah. it's from themselves or so everyone around them. And so... So now I now you have that context of like, you're like, okay, so when someone acts like that, they're really insecure, I get it, fine. But... Uh, there's other things, other traits that we're allowed to, that we kind of humanise instead of vilify. Exactly, because you, you've also got that thing, right, when you grow up, when you reflect a little bit more on your own behaviour and your own experiences and how much they frame both your good and your bad. Yeah, like when you acted, things. yeah, well, when you acted like a dick, like, well, what was going on at that exactly. time? Exactly, and, and you understand, and you, you, you kind of have the ability to apply that kindness to other people's behaviour. Um, but I think it's a work in progress. I, like, I often find that if if somebody does something that I perceive as offensive, like it takes me, I, I'm getting way better at contextualising it, but it still takes me time, right? Mm. I need to step back and think about it and think about their intent and think about the, the perspective and think about like the context and understand my reaction to it rather than, you know, calling someone and being like, oh, you will not believe what so-and-so did, yeah. which is just lovely and adult. And, and it's, it's also really painful sometimes because you constantly turn the lens on yourself, right? Mm, why am I offended by that? Yeah, why, do why I am I such personally? a piece of shit? <laughs> why am I a bad driver? <laughs> like exactly. But, I mean, I think with the world looking like it is and our experience of the world being so challenging at the moment, especially mm. when we kind of hold the values and the ideologies that we do, Seeing somebody like Trump stampede through, you know, kind of human experience and mm. shit on it, um, 
I don't I don't feel that bad wishing you on him. Like a lot of it's like the one person where I'm like, that's okay. Yeah, I honestly like when you when we say try you try and humanise someone, it's really, really difficult to try and humanise him. It is so difficult. Because all of his downfalls uh, you know, the his his context, which is like is ridiculously privileged white yeah. man who's been given every single opportunity and he hates women and minorities. Yeah. It's like, oh wow, I cannot find a reason as to why There's nothing redeeming like about you. you and you are a toxic force that is just polluting the entire world mm. and I don't you know but I don't know is there is it okay to like I mean the ill wishing we're wishing he died right like that is the that's and, and that's that's really really troubling thing but I mean would you say the same thing about Hitler you know what, what yeah so this is what part in the article as well I really encourage people to to read it it's so interesting and in saying like you know when you do something good, you should feel like you you are acting morally. But yeah. like doing something good could have like a bad consequence later. Yeah, like absolutely. you know, seeing a child who is um, in danger and they're about to you know get hit by a train, and you save that kid, and that kid then ends up being Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> you actually have just done something very very bad. So it's it's you know it's kind of neither here nor there in a lot of ways. But it's really interesting to look at to look at it and being like actually my actions have consequences yeah. even if they're just like saying to someone i think that she is a loose unit yeah yeah and then it get back gets back to that lady who's acting a bit like a loose loose unit she might be acting like a use, loose unit because she's really struggling with lockdown yeah and you've missed an opportunity to be kind to someone which is such, yeah there are, you know really especially when we're living in the way that we are now there mm. aren't as many opportunities to just bring a bit of kindness into the world and so you know, giving somebody that space and that, that permission to be human and to have flaws is really powerful. Even yeah. more so now than ever. So if oh you God. could stop yeah. yelling and about it, my driving, that would be day. cool. Just take it away. Just take a lesson away from Hebron. No, take your keys away. But there is, <laughs> but in, uh, even like in Victoria, especially, and for those who aren't in Victoria, let me give you a little insight. Uh, we've got um, our Premier, Dan Andrews. People are very angry. Very People cross. are really angry at very, him. Very, very angry. People are blaming everyone's poor mental health on him. People are blaming, um, you know, everyone's economic, like, all the small businesses' economic failings on him. And it's really kind of um, misplaced aggression, um, I feel. And so it's kind of that thing I was like, well, what do you, what do you want to get out of this? If, mm. we keep, if we keep hurling abuse at one person who's just maybe doing the best job that anyone could be doing right now then it's there's consequences to that mm, and um, I, yeah and and I, I think it's an important point but i think maybe people are putting it there because where else they're going to put it well yeah you have to put blame somewhere yeah, don't you? yeah and that's kind of what the leadership is you just you're accountable could blame coronavirus. You could blame a virus, yes. Okay. <laughs> but there's no face on that. Exactly, there's no face. But I guess at the end of the day, you know, think about what you're doing and think about if it has consequences mm. and, and try to choose to do the better thing is the takeaway. Yeah. And Trump must die. That's <laughs> oh, another so takeaway. <laughs> so this episode we're going, to, um, we're going to do a little bit of a pivot here and talk about something that's really, really deeply important to us yes. and something that has kicked us in the guts. We're going to talk about women's bodies and this episode is a cliffhanger a what like it's a cliffhanger <laughs> hanging off a cliff who's gonna die who's gonna live <laughs> oh my god 
that we practiced that for ages. We did. And so congratulations. So women's bodies are forever labeled mysterious, from that pesky hidden clitoris to the whispered <laughs> shame of inevitable menopause. Oh, the shame. Us women are walking Pandora's boxes for men. But are we any better at understanding what the hell our body does? can do or will do. So the female anatomy and bodily functions are riddled with shame and confusion. Things happen to us and we're taught that we need to hide them. Quick, Sandra's vagina is doing something weird. <laughs> Bury her in the sand. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> shame on you for being alive, Sandra. You should have worn more things to cover your revolting body. <laughs> it's your fault you don't know what's happening to you and our fault for ever thinking a woman would do anything good. Over the centuries, there have been a million myths bandied about that have attempted to demystify the female form, including the infamous menstruation. Ooh, Ooh spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst we now know that it is a normal biological process there were periods in history where it was viewed as an almost mystical process of either great good or great evil. Oh my god, Sandra's a witch! Or a saint! I can't tell! <laughs> Burn her anyway! <laughs> <laughs> At one stage in history, doctors fretted and warned men to never impregnate a menstruating woman because the babies would be born super deformed. Also, I love that they thought that they could impregnate a menstruating woman. Idiots! <laughs> it's so, so relaxing. So my favourite myth about periods is that a pregnant woman's menstrual blood protected the baby in the womb and then was converted into breast milk after the baby was born. <laughs> so Magical blood drink. Mm. It's just delicious. <laughs> I'm never going to Sandra's house for dinner. What a monster. <laughs> but our wombs kept being confusing. Many they were important and so they decided to protect them from our silly, reckless ways. Like learning. Oh, my God. Uh, in 1873, Edward Clark, a doctor and former professor at Harvard Medical School, published his reasons why women shouldn't be educated in his book, Sex and Education, or A Fair Chance for the Girls. Oh, what a guy. I like that the title seems really uplifting, know, but it's, it's obviously like, do not, let, <laughs> do not let them learn. So he pointed out that the female brains were inferior to men's and thus weren't meant to handle higher levels of education. He also warned that those women who persisted in learning risked damaging their reproductive organs, especially if they were <laughs> menstruating. Oh, that's that crazy period again. <laughs> Sandra, stop bleeding. Our tiny brains can't handle it. <laughs> but what did our mate Aristotle think? Oh, bless him. Oh, gosh, he knew he was about he periods. Of stuff. He's a celebrated genius, right? right? Definitely still alive. Well, uh, he theorised that women were actually deformed men. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Our silly women were born with our genitals inside our bodies due to a lack of heat needed to form the perfect male body. Mm. He also speculated that this disability prevented women from making semen and therefore they were the passive recipients in the child making process. Oh my god, passively receiving semen makes <laughs> you feel sick. Sexy. Oh, romance was definitely alive then, that's for sure. I wonder how Aristotle spoke to women. Aristotle. Aristotle. <laughs> Can you find him? Where's Wally? Probably very loudly and slowly. Oh, no big words for us, Aristotle. We're super deformed and all we know is how to have babies. Thank you for explaining that to us very slowly and very loudly. But surely it's gotten better, right, mate? This is a long time ago, but wait, no. Modern medicine is framed around the male body. Recently, Dr. Kate Young, a medical researcher, told The Guardian, for most of documented history, women have been excluded from medical and science knowledge production. So essentially, we've ended up with a healthcare system, among other things, in society that has been made by men for men. 
So a whole bunch of made up maladies have been created to counter women's experiences from illness, from hysteria, which is what women who had unforgiven, ungovernable emotional excess needing intensive treatment. So pretty much you, Claire. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> hysteria no longer exists in modern medicine, but the impact of dented medicine continues. Here's a quote by Guardian journalist, which really stuck with me. Medicine has always seen women first and foremost as reproductive bodies. Our reproductive organs were the greatest source of difference to men, and because they were different, they were mysterious and suspicious. Because women had reproductive organs, they should reproduce. And all else about them was deemed uninteresting. Mm, so uninteresting. Passive. A recent American study found that while women are more likely to seek treatment for pain and illness, women are more likely to receive inadequate treatment and inadequate care. The researchers noted that a big part of this issue is because of a long history within our culture regarding women's reasoning capacity as limited. Yeah, we definitely can't trust us, particularly with our own bodies. Definitely not Sandra. No way, not Sandra. Don't trust her. You're a mess. You're a mess. <laughs> Claire, you've had a recent challenging experience with your body. Are you okay to share that with us? I will. So I found a lump in my left breast a couple of months ago and went through a process of getting a bunch of scans and they're like oh no this isn't very good you need to go to the hospital and to make sure that it's not nothing bad and that process is okay the public health system is slow and of course I was super duper anxious about the idea of, of having cancer and dying um, and we had a fair bit of cancer in my family and my mum got it quite young um, so um, I went after a long wait to the hospital and visited a surgeon who barely looked me in the eye, never told me their name, and I was sitting down just thick with anxiety and, and you know, that existential threat of death, terrified of not just the process of possibly getting, being sick, but the idea that my children would grow up without me, you know, like, it's just, a, it's a clusterfuck of, of terror. I'm like just so anxious, I couldn't sleep, and I hadn't slept properly for weeks, and the surgeon was really rapidly talking, not making eye contact with me. And then they were like, well, we've, we, we know that your doctor recommended a lumpectomy, but we're actually going to do a different process. And the reason is blah, 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 blah. And she was just going through all these rapid fire questions. And then she said, one of the considerations that we put into it is that you may have, you, 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 you're young and you might have more children. And so and so breastfeeding would be impaired. And also um, we, we, we're we concerned that, um, you know, that there'd be aesthetic issues, deformities, like with your breast if we went through this procedure. And I was like, you never consulted me. You just told me. You told me. And you never, you never undertook to understand what I might want, you know, saying this is what breast cancer looks like. This is the the likelihood that you'd have it based on how the you know how the lump is presenting. Here are the risks and the odds. You can choose. Yeah. They made those assumptions, and the fact that they, again it was reproduction. Totally. And how I looked, Ugh. rather than giving me autonomy and choice in a like you know a risky situation. Fast forward, I'm I'm fine. The 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 it was it was it was benign. And while the process of finding out that it was okay was a really traumatic one, I've been really taken aback by how dehumanising that experience was and how little what I wanted mattered. Mm. And 
This brings us, Bronwyn, to our cliffhanger. No, it doesn't. Not... I want to talk about this. One sec, Claire. Oh, my this God, was... no. Get we on the cliff. Had... I'm off the cliff. <laughs> I'm very safe. This was huge. This was months. This was at least two months of you experiencing this, of yeah. every single day you being, and especially like you mentioned, your lovely mum, Jan, had, uh, had suffered from... A really horrible cancer scare. Yeah. And it's like actual cancer. Actual but cancer she's, real a, cancer. she's okay now. She's wonderful. But it was a really horrible journey for her to get yeah. better yeah. and a really scary time for your family. And knowing that you, and so you had to be aware of, like, you always had to do your boob checks. And this isn't the first time that you found a lump in your breast. And so you were really diligent about going to see these doctors. And so you were doing all of the right things. Yes. Yeah. And the way that it was handled was just so bad. I would, just as a spectator of this experience it was really stressful and you had to there were there were you know endless cliffhangers in this oh, it's, yes like your like your um, referral was lost and the public system is so 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 slow because yeah. it's like enormously under-resourced and so there was just so much waiting so much waiting and, and because we're in lockdown and you're a single mom there was so much lock waiting by yourself exactly because no one can go with anyone to the hospital and one one bit that really stuck with me um was that the, again, again that, that that session with the surgeon um they rushed so quickly through the detail and i was quite shocked and terrified and so i didn't really process what they were saying and they kept looking at their i'm saying they because i'm very careful i don't want to do a say anything identifying um and, and I, I was kind of asking all these questions at the end trying to understand what was happening and they were looking at their watch. Mm. I was so obviously an impediment to them. And, and I, I remember thinking, I'm walking out of here terrified and alone with, a, with the possibility that I'm very, very sick in front of me. And, you know, I, I wasn't, but there was a waiting room full of women out there and hearing some of them check in, a lot of them, for a lot of them, English wasn't their first language. You know, just just understand. I mean, take take time. You know, do some do, do some systemic research to understand what the the mental health impacts of, of mm. these experiences are, and get you know get some forms in there. Be like, I'm really I'm really rushed. I'm a public health system doctor, and I get that. I get that it would be an impossible, difficult job, but have a stack of information mm. there saying I can't spend time with you today. I'm really sorry, but here is some information for you. If you need an interpreter, I've got it in all these different languages. Yeah, imagine if you didn't speak English. Yeah. Imagine if you had a, an intellectual disability. Yeah. Imagine if you had PTSD for whatever reason where yeah. you wouldn't be processing that information and then them saying, all right, bye. Yeah. That was uh, was like a really eye-opening experience for me watching you go through that. Look, it was a, it, I'm actually surprised by how even talking about it now I feel quite anxious because it was such an awful experience and such really in the scheme of things, ostensibly a minor one because I'm fine but that experience has really shifted my relationship with my own body in that I'm like if, if I have a lump again would I go forward would I yeah. would, I, would I call it out would I go and would I go after and, all that you must after having, like I should have just left it yeah after having the procedure after recovering from it that, that that itself was really frightening like again being in a hospital by yourself is not a fun experience no matter what you're there for and so yeah, this this will continue to affect how I present in the future, right? And that's mm. that's dangerous. Yeah. Oh, definitely. As if it, well, why would you ever go through that? No one made you feel safe in that situation. No one, no one, safe or support. And no one was like, "Thank goodness you checked." You know when know. you, you know when you take your kids to kids the children's hospital and you're like terrible. You're like, um, and you worried they're gonna like be annoyed that you're wasting their time. You're like, I just don't know why they've got that rash. Oh, I don't know why they've got that cough. Like I took Edie, which is a newborn, to the 
to the emergency room so many times because she was um, she was quite she just had a really bad cold all the time because mm. Olive was at daycare and bringing home these gross germs and also I was so anxious and so I just kept t- turning up to the emergency and they were so nice about it they kept saying to me even though they wouldn't have actually thought it you did a great job by bringing her yeah, in. You did yeah. a great job. And I was like, thank you. I am I'm the mother of the year. Can you exactly. announce it? And, and if you, you know, you need, you need to be told, told that, that you're doing the right thing because yeah. everyone doubts themselves, right? Especially face-to-face with the medical system, which is complex and and difficult. And you know the people there are the smartest people in the world and that you're not as clever as them. So to, yeah. to face it and not be reassured. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think... The next time something goes wrong with my body, like I notice a lump or a bump or something that's not quite right, I'll definitely have hesitate. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, because that was months of torture for months you. Months of torture. And we definitely don't advocate to not going to see no, your No, you doctor. definitely should. I mean, it's critically important that you do. Um, this is a reflection piece rather than, you know, advice. You definitely yeah. should. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own reaction to a really, really anxious and challenging period. Yeah, and also it's it justifies everything that we've just said, that, that what we understand about women's bodies is that we are here to reproduce. Yes. Yeah. And then all the other stuff is like, well, why why do you need to be self, like, why do we need to reassure you? You're, you can breastfeed. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah, exactly. I don't understand why you're getting hysterical it's, again. It's, <laughs> You can breastfeed anyone you want. <laughs> Stop asking me. <laughs> but herein begins our hanging off a cliff. Okay. Something very huge has happened to one of our bodies. Oh my god. Is it sexy? Oh god. Is it cool? <laughs> Is it Probably. crazy, sexy, cool like DLC? It, yeah, definitely. Something huge is happening to one of us. And you're going to have to tune in next time to episode two, which we're going to release at the same time. Or oh, episode 28. I don't know what I we're up to. Who are we? Who are I we? Know. I have no idea. What are we Who's doing listening? with <laughs> Hello. <laughs> tune in next time to find out which seismic, cataclysmic, gigantical Sheila is having a gigantical thing happen to her gigantical body. Oh, my God. Who is it? <laughs> Who is it?